Extreme Vocabulary is not your typical word of the day podcast. On Extreme Vocabulary, we don't just define words, we contextualize them in terms of their history, etymology, politics, and aesthetics. In other words, we look at the culture behind the words, I'm here in the flesh for the first time in many years um, with Abraham. Hey, what's up? What's up, Abraham? Um, not much, man. What's what's going on with all of you? It's nice to see you all. It's in person. Yeah. Did you live a life age since the last time we met? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I have more uh, gray hairs, definitely. Every gray hair is a thought being born. Uh, <laughs> I'm still I looking wish, for them. Man. I'm still looking for them. I can count them on one hand. Oh, please. Yeah, I can't even see them here. Like, compare, and I'm younger than you. Come on. You have a nice set of Not just by much. dark hair. The hair, yeah, I found a couple in there deep down, but that's scary, but hey. But no, it's just in the beard, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, we got Aaron with his jet black head of a... Uh... Not quite jet black, but... No, it is uh, a little brown, you're right. It's getting, and if you get deep in there, you'll see it's not quite... Got some, he he got some nice highlights, but he's mm. keeping it keeping it on the monochromatic scale. I gotta keep it short too. Keeping it short. He fits the profile of the tall, dark, and handsome. And Aaron, thanks for letting us use... (laughs) Yeah, thanks for letting us use your home today. My humble abode, you're welcome. Uh, Thank you so much. I think the last time we recorded it was also here. Yeah, here at the nest. Yeah. We call it the nest, the rook's nest specifically. And finally, uh, joining you live from the Rook's Nest as well is Efren. What's up, Efren? Hey, it's really cool uh, to be together. Um, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, it hasn't really been years, though. I, I feel like it's time just distorted so much that I don't realize it's been years since we've uh, recorded. Well, it's actually been one year since we even recorded digitally, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because it was June of 2022. Mm -hmm. So it must have been a year before that, or two years before that, when we recorded together. But we're all keeping it tight and uh, staying snatched. So I guess it's hard to see. I have no idea what any of that means. He's trying to use the hip lingo of the kids these days. Yeah, I, I... I'm too old for that now, apparently. I don't know what any of that means. I was too old for that a long time ago. Yeah. No one's too uh, old to take care of their body, yaddy, 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 yaddy. I'm too used to being at home, oh my gosh. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're comfortable. I, I feel like Rodney in um, Caddyshack when he, he uh, well, how did the joke go? He's like, uh, I'm in real estate these days, and uh, you, you, if you don't got anything in real estate, uh, you only got a popcorn fart. And then he just lets one rip, everyone looks shocked, and he goes, Whoa, somebody stepped on a duck and everyone cracks up like nothing happened. It was incredible. I highly recommend Caddyshack if you haven't seen that, my God. It'll make you forget like depression just for like the two hours or whatever it is. Oh my God. Dancing gopher, you'll love it. Speaking of depression, our word for today is... (laughs) Depression. No, it's not depression. What is our word? It's near it though. Mm. It's, well... Maybe not, or in some ways it might be. It's dictate. Our word is dictate. Um, should I just go for it or what? Well, 
You be the dictator. I mean, yeah, you sure, you sure can. Why? No, I don't want to be a dictator, so I'm asking permission. You can dictate when you want to start talking about uh, it. Okay, sure. We'll just get started then. Well, if we give you the power, then you can do whatever you want, right? Or let's play semantics. That's a democracy. Are, let's play semantics. You are the editor. Yeah. That's, now is it safe? Is it okay now? Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> editor could be a, a synonym of uh, dictator, I guess. Roman, yeah. Um, imperators, yeah. Yeah. They were known as the editor sometimes. Yeah, the or the or the fact that you're giving permission to someone to, to be the dictator, that's really interesting. It's like democracy joined up. It's like, yeah, you know what we need right now? We need to just give up democracy and give all the power to one dude so they can yeah. do what needs to get done. Yeah, that's something, right? Yeah. All right, so the word is dictate, and we're using it uh, in the verb form to dictate. But I mean, we can also use the noun form, of course, Taking and we will. Dictation. Yeah, so uh, dictate it, uh, comes from the Latin uh, dictatus, uh, which, uh, if you know Spanish, it's just really the word to say. Um, so in Spanish, you would say decir. Decir, decir is to decir. say. Decir. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's the root word there. It's so dictate is just to say something. But then um, dictate becomes, uh, you know, and politically it, it becomes a, a, a word that means that you're giving someone all the plenary powers so that they can then say and get done what needs to get done. So solve, that's the, solve all your problems. Yeah, that's the Roman solution, right? It's the 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 Roman dictator is the person that uh, the Republican or Democratic state gives all the power to, so that then they could solve whatever crises or problems they're going through. It was usually a war, by the way. Right. Right. It was uh, all it was all about those Punic Wars, <laughs> mm -hmm. fighting against Northern Africa. Um, uh, so yeah, so and when you have you know wars going on, who's going to become the dictator? The warlords, one of them. Oh yeah. So how do you solve these problems? How do you solve the rebellions of like North Africa, um, and the fact that they don't want to submit to, to the empire? Well, you know, you start wars with them, and then you create a dictator, who can lead the campaign and solve whatever other issues are going on in the political body. Uh, so that's really interesting. Of course, dictate now, um, you know, we have a, a different kind of meaning to it, you know. We've added the meaning of uh, like taking dictation, meaning you're listening to someone and then you write down what they're saying, right? So they speak and then you take their words. So for me, I guess what I would say about dictate is um, that there's this really interesting confluence between language and power. Uh, so dictating means that we actually have to think about, um, for example, the language, the language of power and the power of language. So that's kind of where I'm. Oh head to with that but yeah i don't know any comments you all want to make is fine at this time <laughs> i guess i give you permission as the dictator here to i speak. think it's just more convenient for me <laughs> to let the dictator take over <laughs> go for it i'll just be drinking from a coconut over here 
So dictate means to say in the simplest way, right? Mm -hmm. And the root meant just to say, but then somehow in English, it took on a, a heightened meaning where you're like saying something with authority. And even if you take dictation, you're only doing it because what the person is saying is like a matter of record, at least for them, right? Right. Where you have to write down what the person, the person in authority is saying, right? Because it needs to get published and it needs to um, be uh, disseminated. What other words do we have that convey the value of the uh, spoken word, maybe? Oh, good question. There's like mutter, which would maybe be the opposite. Or... Yeah, What what is mutter? That's just what? Is it related to mumbling? Mumbling, yeah. <laughs> You kind of say something under your breath and maybe you don't want to be uh, called out for it or you don't want to follow up on it, so you mutter it. Yeah, you're like rebelling but not fully or something. <laughs> not with full, with the authority of voice. Yeah. It's funny that we do think of like voice as having authority, especially if you consider like volume. Like, volume has a lot to do with uh, authority, oh. right? Anytime somebody needs, you know... Well, if you've ever been hailed by the police, you know exactly how they talk to you. You know, so... Mm. Yeah, they don't go like, excuse, excuse me? <laughs> right? Yeah, they hail you. Well, if they think you're like state senator so-and-so, they'll do that. That's true. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. if you have one of those bumper stickers, the right kind, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, if they think you have more power than they do, or you have power over their job, then yeah, exactly. they if will certainly. Yeah. But otherwise, they they hail you, right? They're like, "What are you doing?" Or, "Get out of the car." Or, I need to see your your license and registration. And if you're lucky, you might even get. Hey, good afternoon. You know how fast you're going? <laughs> I was watching a, a true crime show one time, and it was about a detective who has a lot of experience. Uh, Kenda, for those of you who are oh, listening. Kenda's the man. And he said a really interesting thing about volume and, like, authority, mm -hmm. which is that whenever he's, you know, kind of chasing someone or he's he's pulled his gun out, and whenever he, he says, whenever he yells, like, stop or I'll shoot, people don't usually stop. But mm -hmm. he says that if he goes, um, if you move, I'll, I'll shoot. Like that, the people, people just, like, Stop. Freeze. They freeze immediately. Because he's saying it so, like, a matter-of-factly, you know? Calm, calm and composure. They, yeah. It freaks people out. Yeah, yeah so, like, the dic his, dic his dictatorship over language there is that he is mastering over his, like, composure to such an extent that it throws off the heightened emotions of the situation, you know? Mm -hmm. So, it's, I guess it's not always volume, but some, most of the time it is volume, though. Mm -hmm. People assert power. Okay. Yeah, it could be the way you say something. We also kind of live in a world now where none of the world leaders are yelling, right? Like full on yelling. Like yeah. if we go back, yelling, yeah. like Hitler's just like yelling. <laughs> well, how many minutes did it take for us to get to eleven minutes? <laughs> right, to get to. Uh, and or in Star Wars, right? Uh, Admiral Hux is just <laughs> yelling. Was Martin Luther King? I mean, I mean, we don't have. Maybe, maybe there's a question about like 
do we have any great or- orators anymore? Like, you oh, know, yeah. who like wielded power through their oration. Like, we don't have great orators, do we? Or maybe not in politics. Comedians. Comedians. Uh, yeah. Religious figures have some pretty good chops for being orators, but like, mm-hmm. our politicians seem almost forcefully bad at oration. Except for Obama, I guess. Obama was pretty good. But he wasn't great. He wasn't great. He had, he had like, his stumbles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, his moments of, like, uh and ah. Uh. But when you compare him to the field, my Oh, God. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it don't look like compare a him to what, what came before. Yeah. I mean, I think at that, at that point, we had all had a George Bush Jr. in memory. So we're just like, oh, my God, Obama <laughs> sounds great. Hey, hey like, if, I, if I lose, maybe they'll make me the commissioner of baseball. <laughs> That's what he really wanted. Um, yeah, well, if you think about media or something, or, uh, yeah, media specifically, it's improved, and uh, or the technology has improved to the point where it's not really a skill that you need to, like, command a room without technology, and things are, like, maybe just more and more mitigated now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I guess that's, so... Who was it that mentioned preachers? Oh, that was UF, right? So yeah, that's that's one thing I don't like about preachers, uh, you know, who uh-huh. are like always yelling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they always have it up to 11. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I know one exception, Benny Hinn. He's very calm and composed while he steals your money. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they confronted him about it in an interview and then he's like, look, look, I, I understand. And then he would just like, Go in circles and basically not answer the question. Answer the question yeah, I guess he was pretty yeah. charismatic. Very. Yeah. Um, but he was also a TV guy, so yes. he didn't. Yeah, yeah he, he was master of you know, the TV television. I did. Show. How many uh, yelling priest, uh, preachers have you had? Abe? Too many. Too many. <laughs> I think I only had one. A guy in the, really? the yeah. guy in MacArthur Park with the bullhorn, man. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's always a uh, situation there. I mean, that's the type, you know? It's like, just yelling in your face, right? The yeah. bullhorn, that's all they need. Well, I mean, they f- make fun of them on YouTube now, you know? They just make them into metal preachers. <laughs> Somebody just plays, like, yeah. metal music in oh, the background right, yeah, and yeah. you listen to them yelling. So that's great. Of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, what's the word? Mockery, yeah. But I guess what I was going to add to that is that, yeah, I feel like I do respect a preacher who, who doesn't need the volume to exude that authority. And they could just kind of do it with like a normal or level volume or something. Or a little like strategic, you know, and like then raising just, the voice here and, and there. just uses their, their words, you know, or the, the particular choice of words that they're using, I think. What about they could only their diction? Real, <laughs> but they could only be like that because of the amplifier. Maybe. You think so? I mean, I, don't, I mean, uh, unless it's a smaller group. I mean, yeah, the word preacher itself, I think, means that it, it's actually having to do with the fact that you're amplifying your own voice, that you have to, like, uh-huh. scream because people can't hear you. Oh, that's Because right. you're in some, like, public marketplace and people are just passing yeah. by. And so then you have to, like... You're trying to get the cheap seats way out there. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that, that's true. That's Historically, that's what it was. Yeah. That's where the tradition comes from, absolutely. And yeah. now we don't need it because of technology. I wonder how loud Abraham Lincoln was, like, yelling. He the was, uh, Gettysburg Address. You know? He was a very soft-spoken guy, so yeah, who knows if they could even hear him, honestly. But I think they used to do debates and stuff with, like, big crowds. Yeah, they yeah. did, but he, he just historically was, according to, like, Daniel Day Lewis's Lincoln, you know, great research, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure he 
did his research, due diligence. But yeah, he, he had Lincoln. Yeah, he had a very soft, kind of matter of fact, kind of you know, very teeny, kind of small voice like mm -hmm. this. It wouldn't carry, and so maybe they just be tried like this. And, and they just assumed he was right. I couldn't <laughs> hear him, but he's probably the right. The guys in front heard him, and they, they said it was all good. So maybe uh, word about <laughs> he was also tall, which people just assume you're right if you're taller usually. <laughs> uh, how many times has the presidential election been won by the shorter candidate? Does anyone know that? It's very few times. Really? Huh. Yeah. Look at that Stephen Douglas. He's so short and shifty. Or a mustache, right? If you had a mustache, it was a little oh, shifty because you had a mustache. Kiss bed, yeah. <laughs> Might as well be twisting it, you know? So you can't have a mustache and you can't be short. <laughs> Supposedly. Right. What, what is our last mustache president? Oh Teddy? God. Was Teddy? No, hold on, let me think. Oh god, it was. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time since we had a mustache. Program. Ike didn't have one, so, right? so it's got to go even before him. My god, Truman didn't have one. FDR didn't have one. It had to be Teddy, right? I think you're right. It has to be. I'm mm -hmm. trying to think back in the 20s and the 10s. Nobody had them. <laughs> Maybe like, okay, who's Teddy? Yeah, Teddy would have to been it. Oh, you found the cat. Write <laughs> yeah. to extremevocabulary at gmail.com if you can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if we can only do games like that, where call the people would call in. Yeah, I think that's all like nineteenth century then, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, Teddy's like the turn of the twentieth century. Yeah. It's funny how really, yeah. Taft Taft was after him, and Taft definitely had a a mustache. Yeah. Taft. Yeah, it's always Taft. It's shifty guy, shifty one. <laughs> Very nimble, despite his was size. Was Taft the one that like married his? No. Uh, he married his secretary, who was like. 18 or something? Anyway, anyways, I don't want to... The secretary who took his dictation? <laughs> That's how we oh, I didn't mean that as a joke. Our resident comedic genius is See, this is, this is what I mean by sometimes I say things that I don't mean. <laughs> It's what read that some other no, meaning into no. it. You meant that's genius. No, I didn't. Own it, own it, own it. Yeah, well, you were divinely inspired. Just You were no, the vessel no, to acknowledge no. it. Acknowledge that you were the vessel. Okay, another question. We're talking about dictators as being people who have accumulated too much power, I guess. Uh, right. Or how would you, yeah, how would you define a dictator? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Sasha uh, Baron Cohen does a good parody of one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the idea of absolute power. Uh-huh. It's, uh -huh. um, and uh, exerting that power mainly through violent means. Huh. Yeah. Which is ironic, I guess, because it should be using words. Right. Um, <laughs> well, the thing about the interesting thing about dictators is that we tend to think of them, or um, yeah, we tend to think of them as charismatic speakers or mm -hmm. chari charismatic personalities, and so all the violence though is is not carried out by them though by mm. about the followers. So, you know, they are kind of relying on their words and the way they speak is um, they tend to speak, I guess, in dog whistles or uh, coded language mm -hmm. where like the followers understand exactly what he what he means. And uh, I say he because it's mostly yet, men. <laughs> yeah, but yet it also leaves open a lot of misinterpretation if you're not in on the wavelength or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, just I like. See. Yeah, like people are really, the people around the dictator are really behaving in a way that says, like, I know exactly what he meant and what exactly what he wants me to do. Insider, yeah, cool. Yeah. A brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde when the dictator, what's the dictator's name in that? I, oh, Trujillo? Trujillo, when, when Trujillo 
asks the character about his daughter, he says, oh, why haven't you brought your daughter around to the parties lately? He doesn't say what he really is trying to say, but, but right. the man knows exactly what he means. Yeah. Right? He knows that by asking about his daughter, he's saying he wants to, he wants to you know, assault his daughter, essentially. Right. But none of that's said. None of that's said. It's, only, it's, a, it's all dog whistle, as you say. Right? Yeah. But that's the power, I guess. The violence is violence-backed language. Yeah. There's a... So, I, I think we've been talking a lot about speaking, but I guess there's also a connection to writing. Um, di dictatorships in Latin America are actually um, really connected to writing itself. Where it's like uh, the, the cities themselves at least were planned um, as, uh, what do you, they call them, ciudades letradas or the lettered cities. I guess you could use the word republic of, or what's the word, uh, republic of letters, that's the phrase I think. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that, um, you know, these Europeans came over to the Americas and they really did plan to to uh, create new cities that didn't grow organically but rather were planned and so these were like concentric cities where like power would radiate right from the middle so like the people who are in the center of the city are the people who have the most power and the most say over the lives of other people and so these were the ones who were writing all the laws so in a way a lot of latin american cities are built on this kind of we could call it a kind of dictatorial plan mm. um but i don't know if i'm losing you guys i'm probably no, getting a little i'm going. probably getting a little too deep there keep but. going i like this i'm um, trying to look up more about it too. <clears throat> so there's this like just this big tradition in latin america and thinking about dictatorship and how like lives in latin america are controlled not just by like the European imperial powers and colonialism and all that. But then after that, you know, after the period of colonialism, the fact that like these new nations had to endure like actual dictators as they were struggling to become democracies and republics, etc. Hmm. Um, so that's why in Latin America, you know, the, they really do think a lot about this, <laughs> about dictatorships and what it means to dictate. First of all, I'll say that I learned a lot already because I was going to ask, like, if our president is, if any dictator elements are built into the American presidency. But it sounds like kind of not really because, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was wondering because, because, like, for example, I was thinking during time of war, like, the president suddenly becomes, like, ultra powerful, especially with regards to what the military does. But then it still is above board on a certain level then, I guess, because it's not coerced or, or whatever. It's more just like, oh, no, it, the people who know have it spelled out to them. It's not like secretly appeasing some uh, <laughs> dark interest or something. I don't know. Or, or am I wrong? You're talking about emergency powers, right? Yeah, emergency powers. Which under the Patriot Act... The Patriot Act, one of the stipulations of it, I'm pretty sure it's still in, in, in it's still going on. It is, yeah. Is that the president has kind of like just constant emergency powers now. It's not just during a war. Mm. The president has constant emergency powers. That's no. in the Patriot Act. That was since 9-11. Yeah, there, there's like, there are consequences if you cross certain lines, but 
again, it's pretty broad and there's a lot of you know, wiggle room and leeway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people have argued that yeah. that's one of the reasons that the Patriot Act is very like dangerous and people should it should be repealed yeah. because it gives a president just broad discretionary. Yeah, broad like emergency. It, yeah. as if we're in a war right now. That's that's the same amount of power the president has right now, even and though we're not be, technically in a war. To be controversial, you can point out that even the Democratic presidents, when they get into office, they don't repeal it. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, no, 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 the full powers, mm-hmm. right? Or power, or it considers itself to be in a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And that's what we went through, right? After 9-11, we just entered into a state of emergency. Nine one one, the name itself indicates an emergency, right? <laughs> um, How dare you? <laughs> further ironies. Yeah, so it's like, ironies. we've been in a state of emergency since 2001. And well, has that means that we've given the presidency a lot of power. And so, but, you know, even before 911, I think uh, historians were talking about the imperial presidency, right? The fact that, like, U.S. presidents were over time gaining way too much power. Um, right. They called things military actions instead of wars to sidestep To get away, yeah, to sidestep yes. the fact that only Congress can declare war, right? But at the same time, it's not hopefully based on a cult of personality and charisma and uh i don't know (laughs) other other dictatorial hallmarks or am i wrong oh no he's just showing me what is that can i i'll read it i'll read it um it's called the unitary executive theory and this was actually talked about and postulated in um, the film vice which is about you know cheney um basically being the shadow <laughs> president during that period of time of you know what we were talking about okay the unit according to wikipedia the unitary executive theory is a theory of uh, united states constitutional law which holds that the president uh, possesses the power to control the entire federal executive branch the doctrine is rooted in article two of the constitution which vests the executive power of the u.s in the president, although that general principle is widely accepted, there's disagreement about the strength and scope of the doctrine. Some, uh, do you want me to go on or no? Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I think, yeah. yeah that's just basically yeah. just what it is, yeah. Oh, but um, I didn't get back around to my question, which was, Abe, do you have a, or when you were talking about Latin America, mm-hmm. do you have like an example of a city and how its legacy is kind of... Uh, a dic- uh, from a dictatorship and uh, continuing to uh, uh, sure build itself. Um, Argentina's Buenos Aires, so the city of Buenos Aires in Argentina. Um, well, even earlier than that. Oh, I mean, right. they were sh- the. So there's this actual text called um, Facundo or uh, Civil Civilization and Barbarism in the Argentine Pampas. Um, that was written as this kind of like political tract against um, Juan Manuel de Rosas, who was considered a dictator at the time. And this is the time when like the, the Argentina was still trying to like um, consolidate itself as a nation. And um, 
so they had, you know, thrown off the Spanish powers and all that. But then um, they entered into this period of unrest where there was a lot of infighting between the cities and the countrysides. You know, the countrysides where you have like a lot of, um, well, the text calls it barbarism, right? But it's really like indigenous people who are living there. And then in the cities, you have like all the European immigrants who are trying to create a democracy or some kind of republic, but they're like fighting it out with <laughs> the countryside that doesn't want to be ruled or anything like that. But what's funny about that text is like, you know, like civilization and barbarism. It's like, wait, who's the civilization here? And who is the bar barbarous uh, party here? I don't know. So, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the Juan Manuel de Rosas thing was that he was trying to um, actually like consolidate and bring together the na the whole nation as one, and people didn't like that, <laughs> basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, there you go. So, yeah, Buenos Aires, Argentina, <laughs> good one. How are you, sir? Soy de Argentina. Aquí tenemos pollera. Oh, so the thing about the United States, like, is there, I guess, or the question I hear you saying is like, is there some kind of dictatorship in the United States? I feel like, at least in the literature, it's always like pushed to the future, right? Mm -hmm. It's like always some dystopia, uh -huh. right? It's like, oh, in the future, there might be a dictatorship. Right. I don't know, I just think about like the Hunger Games, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the dictatorship of the elite you know, who make then the districts like fight each other in what they call the Hunger Games. Hmm. So if you think, okay, if we were to go back in American history and be born in 1880 instead of 1980, do you think I would look to what's going on now as like a fight between two charismatic dictators? <laughs> or like, the? I, I feel like with dictatorship, maybe there is embedded a kind of desire to weaken the will of the people or a desire to um, weaken the the minds of the people. Hmm. And I kind of feel like that's going on a little bit. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's always been kind of going on to different levels of success. And maybe right now it's seeming to be a little more successful to some, I guess. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's when you're more obedient and compliant, you don't complain, you're making money for somebody. And they're exploiting that. That's what they want. Like Matrix, I guess. That's a good way to put it. What do you think of? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything people are saying. And, uh, I mean, the only thing I, I think I would add is, I feel like, at least in the U.S. context, some have argued that we're kind of post-dictator in the sense that dictatorships are too uh, kind of obvious for a lot of people and that it's better to not have a central enemy because then people could direct themselves toward it. So like now, like, I mean, I would say who's dictating our lives. It's probably corporate corporations and the surveillance uh, apparatus of all corporations that dictate our behavior more than any other thing. But we don't really see that as an enemy. Like we can't go with our pitchforks and our torches and go to Google no, and like and like burn down. I mean, we could, but it's all in the cloud anyway. Yeah. We could burn down the building, but it, so because there's, in other words, it's easier to be dictated when you don't even realize you're being dictated, right? You don't know your behavior is being, 
your all of our behavior is being um, dictated yeah. mm. by algorithms that try to push us into consumerist behavior. Is and it's overwhelming to have to think of like how can I you know deal with this? You know, I'm one machine mm. cog in the machine, right? Mm. Well, that's really weird. I yeah, I noticed how the word dictator, I uh, dictate, changed in what you were saying where. It used to have to be somebody saying something and wanting it to happen. But when you're talking about Google, it could just be an algorithm with its own uh, motivations. Some of them are not even a part of a human ambition. And they're still dictating what we do. I, well, we call it algorithms, but I think of algorithms as writing itself. It's just writing to me. I mean, it's a different kind of writing, sure. It has its own forms and rules and all that, but to me, it's just writing. And I do think that it is, um, because it's like binary kind of thinking, that it does like order our lives when we use it, you know, to do things in life. It does like order our lives in a certain way. Um, writing. I like that. Mm. Just like a constant stream of documentation being <laughs> shot at our brains. Yeah. I don't think that's healthy. Well, no, I mean, the, uh, the <laughs> thing that we notice is that it keeps, like, uh, it's, it's kind of, it works by degrees, right? Like, it finds out what you like, and then it, like, ups it to 100 or something, and it just keeps showing you the same thing, right? Yeah. That's um, what, it's become hard for me to watch a movie, are like I'm more resistant to the idea of watching a movie than ever, because it seems like I have to invest so much in it's an attention into it. Yes. Yeah. Am I ready for these two hours? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or am I gonna be distracted? That's another ADHD thing. It's you're you're worried about the distractions that potentially might happen. Oh yeah, we were talking about our uh, eight potential uh, diagnoses yeah. before the show. Time blindness is another one. It happened to me the other day. It happens all the time, where I was you know I was like oh nine thirty this is gonna happen and then okay I got thirty minutes to do it. All of a sudden, holy shit, it's 9.35, what was I doing? And I was playing the game or something, right? I was engrossed. <laughs> it happens. Hmm. How much power do you guys think language actually has, though? All-encompassing, right? All-encompassing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, well, that's a broad-ass question. What do you a little more context here. What, what's I don't know. Yeah, do you no, mean, I mean it just broadly. You can answer any way you want. Well, you were talking like. about <laughs> algorithms, right? And yeah. so algorithms often shoot images at us, as, mm. but that it's in the form of documentation, I guess, ones and zeros. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And there's do you, so is that in, a part of language? Well, there's usually text involved with the images, especially if we see them on screens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. We also think in language, right? And for a large, or don't we, or do we not? I think that's a question. Do yeah, we? I think that's kind of what I'm yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Because if we think okay. in language, then it is all encompassing. Right, because then everything becomes language. But maybe we don't. Maybe we think in images. I don't know. No, but we, def we definitely <laughs> think in words because you see these like mimetic kind of words appear in our culture and they were often put there in a power struggle. You know, words like woke mind virus now control the way people think, you know, or... <laughs> it might, but I've never heard that phrase until right now. you never heard of the woke never mind heard virus? I mean, I just sit around all day reading literature and Karl Marx. Okay. So I'm, I'm less exposed to <laughs> some of these I'm reading way more than you. Yeah, you probably because are. Because it's an algorithm and it's a yeah, it explains 200 a lot. times longer than it needs to be. 
Uh, no, but yeah, or, or whatever. Even the word racism to go back in time, right? You put that word out there and then suddenly people see things in a different way. And I don't think it's per- imagistic necessarily. <clears throat> and, um, or even woke, which the original meaning was to be aware of racism. Mm-hmm. And now... And acknowledging. You add words onto that. You add woke mind virus. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, you should be allergic to... The TikTok meme. <laughs> yeah. That's bad you should thing. be allergic to even thinking about racism. Yeah, or like the word capitalism. Like, could we really see capital? Like, is capitalism a thing? No, it's, 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 a, it's almost like a structural concept that we have that we can use to sort of see the way the material world operates. But it's not a thing. Like, I want to like... It's an abstract. I want to get an axe and crush capitalism. You oh, can't. Yeah, it's an abstract. It's an idea. Yeah. It's an idea. Yeah, it's an idea that needs to be interrogated and is often not interrogated. I think I realize now through most of my life or at least half of my life, I did not interrogate the concept of capitalism, right? And I, and everything just seemed like it was set up to be normal. Like this is the normal way things should be. And, uh, but every year you realize more and more, or I realize more and more how capitalism is a system that just runs everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people don't even think it's a system or it's a thing, right? Some people think that that's just, like you say, that's just how the world is. Yeah. It's to call it a system is to systematize it like structural racism, which people think is fake. Like, you know, structuralizing things, maybe, maybe what we're talking about in part is an aversion to structuralizing the world mentally mm-hmm. because it's too hard, difficult to confront. Uh, if we confront that there's such thing as structural racism, then, then it's difficult for some people to confront that. I guess a lot of these words are critiques of systems. Mm-hmm. And when a word can take the place of a uh, rebel, uh, or can uh, be a placeholder for having a cynical point of view about something, then um, it can become powerful. Dictatorial, one might argue. Dictatorial, sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Steer it back. <laughs> Was it even that hard? It just happened, see? Yeah. Go with it. That's the chi. <laughs> I think of racism as the first science fiction. Thank you. Say more. Say more. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, uh, interesting. What, what do you mean? <laughs> well, racism was a theory of race, right? It was a, trying to explain, like, the, the racial differences, characteristics in humanity. Mm-hmm. But it was trying to explain it in terms of like orders of civilization. So it's mm-hmm. like, so like if you had a certain kind of cranium, yeah. <laughs> you had the capacity for civilization. But we know that that's all untrue, but they were trying to prove it through so-called scientific experiments, like throwing little, getting like a, a cranium and then like filling it with little pellets and see how many pellets fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> for the phrenology, the bumps yeah, the, in the skull. Yeah, yeah today, so today would be called pseudoscience. Yeah. Right. right, so today we call it pseudoscience, which is just a synonym for science fiction. Yeah, right? exactly. So mm-hmm. that's what I think. And also, um, it's is. interesting because, not the original, but you know, obviously science fiction too, um, Roddenberry's uh, Star Trek is essentially the, you know, the civil rights movement time period was mirroring what was happening on the show you know, the, between the different races of species. 
Mm-hmm. You know, basically, there's one especially. It's the the episode, the famous one where Frank Gorsh and the Riddler, you know, famous Riddler mm-hmm. from the Batman series, was playing like one of the the villain on that episode. And it was a planet where essentially the people were painted half black and half white, but on one side was black and white on the right, and the black was right on the right, and white was on the left, and the oh, other people, right. yeah, and the yeah, ones were yeah. black on the left and white, and it was, you couldn't tell the difference, you always got mixed up, I didn't even remember but which side it was difference. on, but yeah, but between them they couldn't get along, right, and it's, yeah. it's essentially like, you're critiquing society at the time, obviously. Well, I only bring up the racism part because I, I think uh, we've written racism into our technology, Yeah. so it's like... Uh, like if you've ever wondered why you why if you have like brown skin like me you never look good in photography that's because they never used brown skinned models to test the technology mm. um, they used a, a white woman named Shirley to test like how they might um, refine cameras and lighting and all that so it's like you think like na- white people just appear naturally good on camera? No, it's because they actually refined it so that mm. s- that certain skin color, in other words, the white woman surely would look good on camera. So it's like there's technologies that aren't even built for us, you know, um, for people like me. But also uh, there are certain like video te- te- technology that can't pick up like black and brown faces. Um, that will confuse, um, you know, um, brown women or black women and say like, oh, this is a man. So like the technology can't even read our bodies, which is kind of weird. But that's the way these technologies are written. They're written to pick up certain things. So in a way, like the technology, the algorithms themselves are like amplifying racism. I heard something similar about the the sensors for uh, hand drying. And so yeah, they can't because I know I have trouble with them. Oh yeah, those things never wash my hands, and I'm half right. white. I don't know what's <laughs> going on with that. I was gonna swipe a couple times for it to go. Yeah, yeah it's. I heard that has to do with skin tone too, but I don't know. If that's real. I'm using my palm usually. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. It's the lightest part, you know, usually. Well, we're all gonna go wash our hands. Uh, at least. Do we really need to? we'll try Uh, but Aaron you got a automatic sensor in your bathroom for what to wash my hands no okay well I'll try it anyways we have a pump and we'll be right back with the literature corner Extreme vocabulary with our word of the day being dictate or mm-hmm. dictator. Just dictate. 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 Yeah, we're working with the verb form. Yeah. And as usual, um, Efren brought a piece of literature that uses today's word. What word is it that's going to appear? Well, the word that's going to appear is dictators. Dictators. So it's not exact, but it's dictators. That's a major theme of today's talk anyways. Uh, So that sounds great. 
The dictators are the ones that do the dictating. Yeah. Mm. Indeed. And uh, what was the poem you found? Today we have a really kind of legendary poem. It's a classic of Chicanx literature uh, entitled Immigrants in Our Own Land by Jimmy Santiago Baca, who is certainly one of the, you know, classic uh, Chicanx poets uh, who's been writing since the 70s. And uh, this poem uses a metaphor and it uses it. I like to, again, I like to choose literature that uses the word in a kind of an interesting way. And I think this one does. It might seem out of context in some ways, but I'm going to read a, an excerpt from it and let me know what you all think, especially uh, what you think of the way the word dictators is used. And this is an excerpt from Immigrants in Our Own Land, Jimmy Santiago Baca. The old men who have lived here stare at us from deep disturbed eyes, sulking, retreated. We pass them as they stand around idle, leaning on shovels and rakes or against walls. Our expectations are high. In the old world, they talked about rehabilitation, about being able to finish school and learning an extra good trade. But right away, we are set to work as dishwashers, to work in fields for three cents an hour. The administration says this is temporary, so we go about our business, blacks with blacks, poor whites with poor whites, Chicanos and Indians by themselves. The administration says this is right. No mixing of cultures. Let them stay apart, like in the old neighborhoods we came from. We came here to get away from false promises, from dictators in our neighborhoods who wore blue shirts and broke our doors down when they wanted, arrest us when they felt like swinging clubs and shooting guns as they please. But it's no different here. It's all concentrated. The doctors don't care. Our bodies decay. Our minds deteriorate. We learn nothing of value. Our lives don't get better. We go down quick. And that's the excerpt from the poem. And just to repeat real quick, we came here to get away from false promises from dictators in our neighborhoods who wore blue shirts and broke our doors down when they wanted. That's the use of the word dictator from the 1977 poem, Immigrants in Our Old Land. And uh, the context is like, it's a, about prison, right? As you're saying. I feel like the blue shirts, it, it's a pretty obvious, right? What they are. Mm -hmm. um, Same color back there at home as they are here. <laughs> although I guess LAPD's metaphor. so blue it looks black, but they still call it like... It's a metaphor. Uh, it's a dark blue, yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. What do you mean it's a metaphor? It's a metaphor. Blue implies police. It doesn't matter if they were black. Oh, it doesn't matter right, if they were right. fucking brown or tan. Sorry, the person. It's the last episode. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, it's the last episode, everybody. Uh, I think you already mentioned in the beginning, right? No. No, we haven't. Oh, I ruined the surprise? I'm sorry. Let's leave it for I a little bit. I seriously thought we did. That my Let's, push it. Shit. Let's push it off for a little bit longer. <laughs> it's notable that, I mean, I guess it's worth saying that this was a poem written in the 70s by a Chicano, and we... we a critique of the prison system and the police is something we probably take for granted in 2023, right? We take mm -hmm. for granted that, that that type of critique would exist. But around this time, a, a poem uh, by a Chicano coming out with this type of critique was not usual. I mean, no poem coming out with a critique of the police apparatus was usual. So I just wanted to add that context for the audience. It's like, 
You know, it might seem like, oh yeah, we get it. You know, police are bad. But no, in the 70s, it, it, this wouldn't be expressed in a poem. Right. People knew about it, but it wouldn't be expressed poetically. And that's one of the things that, you know, Jimmy Santiago Baca did with a lot of issues like mm -hmm. the prison system, the police, uh, racism, is he kind of poeticized it in new ways. Is he writing this in the 70s? Yes, he is. Right. Which exact year? Uh, it was published in 77, so you got to imagine okay. it was probably written in 76. Or... So I'm thinking, I'm wondering if this is possible. I don't, you know him better than I would ever. Um, was he possibly influenced by maybe the, in the, the film influence at the time was more the police were like, you know, um, Pacino and Serpico, where it's like they're the corrupt system and they're, it's out in your face and they're working through it, that kind of thing. And so probably maybe saw a lot of media like that earlier on and then in, influenced something we wanted to write later on like this in, later in the decade, maybe? I think it was definitely in the zeitgeist of French Connection, right? Yeah, and, French, and connection, French Connection. Yeah. It was in the zeitgeist that, you know, yes. police are gritty and sometimes racist and yes. abusive and... I, it was definitely in the zeitgeist in film, but you know, even um, you know, those films were very popular, but they were also considered like you know, these are these are like adult or not adult films, but these are like mature type of like gritty New York right. films. And that's the romantic appeal, especially for like somebody like me. Like I'm, I've never been to New York ever, even now, right? But imagine like in the seventies, just there's a romance to the grittiness of it, and like I just see it in film and I hear about the stories and you know. All, I just like, I don't know, it's like romanticize it, I guess, like a fool a little bit. Yeah, but I'm sure I, it smelled like rat piss, though. <laughs> but I think definitely it was in the zeitgeist to have this sort of, you know... Mustache. This critique of police corruption, for sure, yeah. A lot of police had mustaches. <laughs> As did the porn theater owners. They don't exist in Madison Square, or not Madison, um, down, it's Times Square anymore. Times Square, yeah. Yeah, Times Square. They're all gone. Yeah, so, um, it's a good poem, and maybe you guys could give me more context on it because I think it kind of one one of the things that it does is it turns the prisoner into a victim of the system, or like uh, it it puts them in the immigrant status, a pitiable position, I guess, and uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I wonder if that too was a sort of radical move at the time when we think about people in jail we usually are not usually but um people like to think oh they're getting what they deserve or um you know you do snap the crime you're going to pay the time snap judgments without really knowing the full story That's wanting like, you know do that. wanting a prison to be punitive in a way yes you know there's a lot of masochists out there they just don't know it or hide, hide it very well or sadists Sadists, yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I meant sadists, sorry. Yeah. Masochists the other way. <laughs> I think one way, I mean, one way I might view this poem um, is, is, well, I heard once someone say that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm victimized, but I'm not a victim, mm -hmm. right? So I think, I think this poem is, is trying to do a couple of things. One of them, I think, is it's trying to humanize the, 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 con the prisoner, though, right? Mm-hmm. Right, that people have that prisoners are people that have dreams, or people that had, that did things um, in, in their pre your life before they were in prison. Um, it's also drawing a parallel between their lived experience in their neighborhoods and in the prison system as both repressive, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, one same uh, the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah, so like I, I would sort of like push back that it's victimizing per se. I mean that it's that is making right. them the victims per se. Um, because in a sense, it's also testimonial. Like it's like, okay, here's what the experience is like. I have my laundry. I have my socks. Well, 
on, and on one hand, it but says it says poor whites, mm-hmm. not bad whites, mm-hmm. not like the vicious whites or something. It's like um, why, would you know, why would I say that? <laughs> well, because they're in jail because they committed a crime. I've never heard anyone say the bad or the vicious whites. Well, mm-hmm. it could have just said the whites too. Yeah, the whites, yeah. yeah, but it poses them as a victim of. Uh, or white, a poverty situ- yeah. situation, which yeah. usually is what the case is. I would think if I had to mm-hmm. wager. Yeah, it doesn't describe. Which is a critique of the system. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't say like, like the white collar, right? Like criminals <laughs> who like steal like millions from people and like get like a slap on the wrist, right? And then somebody steals like a pizza on the third strike and they go down for like twenty. Um, so I think I think the poor whites does carry some weight, a lot of weight there. It's really interesting that you that you brought up this poem for me for two reasons. One is the thing that um, Baca actually writes there, which is that they were escaping the dictators back home. How does he say it? Escaping the dictators back home. Blue shirts back home. Yeah, escaping. We came the... here to get away from false promises. Right, and the dictators back home who would like just do whatever they wanted with right. us. Right, they would treat us however they wanted. It's usually the case, though, like uh, it's, it's <laughs> that people are just, people yeah. are immigrating or leaving, feeling exiled from countries with dictatorships to go somewhere else. First of all, so then that's like they, one of the reasons for migration. There's more opportunity and motivation. That's the motivation. There's more opportunity and possibility that hey, it might be a little less shitty. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. they they might even think that they, until they realize until they get here. But when they do, it's like. Well, in comparison, might not be as bad. So at you know, least but, there's not, yeah, yeah, somebody threatening my life or whatever. Exactly, yeah. But I'm, also, I'm still the, a slave, but hey, yeah. I'm, I'm sleeping, but sleep for a little better. But also that it's about like prisoners who are actually who actually feel like the other end of the spectrum. So like the dictator is the person who has like all the power and say and who's enjoying all the benefits. But like way on the other side is the prisoner who's like the person who's stripped of all power whose life is completely dictated and routinized right so they have like a total routine 23 hours in car- in right. isolation yeah and they have to do that work for very little pay so it's like a maximum exploitation or whatever right mm-hmm. so it's like uh you have the two different opposing figures here that we've brought up just kind of unintentionally, I feel, but like in a really cool way. And really quickly, like just got to mention the like 23 hours isolation. That's not every prisoner, right? Obviously, like you say, most of them have work in the prisons, right? They're being exploited. Why not, right? Mm-hmm. The labor is cheap and free. But the ones that have to be in isolation because they're a danger, because their life is in danger, whatever, or they're on death row, right? They literally are just a waste. They are yeah. consuming. You know, not much, you know, not good quality, but they're consuming. And they're waiting to their day to die, essentially. Yeah. And one hour a day, they get to see the sunlight and walk around the concrete in a courtyard, maybe. Yeah. That's about it. That's a waste. But I mean, some of them need to be in there, I suppose. I don't know. I want to go back to something Efren pointed out about uh, this being a poem that has a critique of the police embedded into it. And uh, it kind of struck me as (laughs) odd how we teach poetry, maybe in school, in elementary school. Um, if I think about all my experiences of teachers telling me to write a poem, it often was like, think about all the good things in life. Think about how uh, you can re- reinforce 
those good things or like uh, illustrate those good things in life. And I was growing up in West Covina, probably a 70% Latino community, Latinx community. And, uh, you know, the idea that we would use our poetry to critique the police was, yeah, <laughs> it's just unheard of. It's always just about trees so it's, or um, flowers or something Jeez. like that. It's kind of funny to... The romantics are popular. I mean, we could think about how, <laughs> um, how poetry is taught at a very, at, 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 like to very young kids as a way to reinforce the status quo, maybe. I think it's just to keep them or, busy and positive and try, <laughs> try to at least. Yeah, or even to be positive, right? Yeah, it's thought of as this positive thing. I don't think it's malicious necessarily. It just depends on the teacher. And I don't think most teachers out there are mm -hmm. like, I'm trying to indoctrinate these kindergartners. They're like, no, I want them to shut up and sleep and have a good time when they're awake, hopefully, and not, not cause too much chaos. That's at least how I would approach it. Yeah, but I mean, by, by sixth grade or something, you could be like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, it's, I got to start thinking. Yeah. It's poetry time. Well, then you got to start getting challenged. What are you mad about? You know, what are you angry about? Well, yeah, just teenage angst is starting <laughs> at that point, yeah. What are your deepest feelings, right? Yeah. It's like poetry. Let it out. Deepest Let feelings. it out. Yeah. yeah, what are your deepest feelings? Like, what are, what are the ones you can't say otherwise? Catharsis, they, they need it, you know, yeah. at that time. It's not bad. But not, you're right, I think, not, like, what are your political critiques of the external? No, they're too young <laughs> at that point. That's, you know, save that for... I don't even know what age to start from, honestly, anymore. <laughs> I would start in kindergarten, but that's just me. Or <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, age appropriately, though. I wouldn't just that's say, like, you're never I, would, be elected I wouldn't say, here's, like, here's, here's <laughs> capital, and drop it on a kindergartner's desk, but right. it, it could do age-appropriate versions of any of those things. What makes you sad? <laughs> Capitalism. And uh, speaking of what makes you sad, we have to take another break and we'll come right back for the end of the show and more. vocabulary would like to go out with a song of the day but before we get into that just want to announce that um, you know it's been a long time since our last one and it may be a long time to our till our next one and we may try to experiment with some different formats and uh, changes and if you're interested in talking about vocabulary in this way please uh, join us and uh, Hopefully, hopefully we just keep putting good things out there into the world. Um, but let's see. I can't think of any songs with dictators in them. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Songs with dictators. Uh, or dictate. It almost seems like the opposite of music to talk about dictation, you know? I mean, what about institutionalized? By um, that, that? oh the song yeah the song institutionalized yeah the song okay. institutionalized I went to your schools and your <laughs> yeah but by um suicidal tendencies yeah suicidal tendencies there you I go know that one. yeah it's the one that he's like 
at the end he's like i just wanted one pepsi right <laughs> yeah that's all i wanted was one pepsi and everything was didn't happen um I mean, that's one option. That's one option for sure. Tell me more about that song. I actually don't know the narrative behind it. Does uh, he go to jail or something? No, it's just a kid who's just like asked his mom for a Pepsi. And then he goes on this rant about like how he's done everything they wanted him to. Uh, he went to their schools, their churches, their institutional learning facilities. <laughs> <laughs> which which always cracked me up and but all he just... wanted was to engage in capitalism by buying <laughs> a Pepsi. or he wanted his mom to bring him a pepsi or something and she's like assuming he's on drugs or something like that yeah i think one thing about the song that maybe like mm -hmm. the listeners don't know it it's not like a classic saying it's almost like a rant right it's not yeah. it's not like a chorus and then there's like it's almost more like a I want to say a rap, but it's not even that. It's just a guy talking, being frustrated in some ways, with a guitar solo repeat on repeat, right? Mm -hmm. That's really much what the song is. I mean, that's one dictator institutionalized. It's called institutionalized. That's yeah. It. By suicidal tendencies. All right. Nothing ever. No, I think there's a, there's a lot of songs where someone's like, "It's gonna be my way or the highway." Oh my gosh! You mean specifically the Limp Bizkit song? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, but I think Sinatra. Oh no, Sinatra. Sinatra yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, have it my way. Yeah, by Sinatra. No, it's just my way. My way. Just, yeah. So songs like that too. I don't know if those capture the dictator ethos, but but I like institutionalized too. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm down with it. Oh, I would rather do that than um, my the, way or the highway. Even though the Olympus gets song, I do think is literally dictating. Another oh, yeah. brick in the wall would be another, another brick one. in the wall. Yeah. Another brick in the wall. Yeah. But it's interesting because those so those two think of institutions as the dictators. Yeah, they're being dictated too. Yeah, it's school that's dictating. Didn't that dude, what's his name, from the Sex Pistols, wasn't he like a Trump supporter now or something like that? Or he's like right wing now? Oh, yeah. Johnny Rotten? Johnny Rotten, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, aging rock star turned, yeah, right wing. Yeah, let's just call it institutionalized. All right. All right. And this was Extreme Vocabulary, July 20. 23 i hope to edit this soon and uh we'll see you next time thank you very much abe all right man nice seeing you guys again and thanks Efren. yeah you're welcome you're welcome and thank you aaron tally ho <laughs> see you next time maybe get away and like maybe you should talk about it you feel a lot better i go no it's okay you know i'll figure it out I'll figure it out, you know? I'm just working on myself. They go, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'll be here, you know? And you'll probably feel a lot better if you talk about it. So why don't you talk about it? I go, no, I don't want to. I'm okay. I'll figure it out myself. If they just keep bugging me. They just keep bugging me. There's pills on the side. It's got to be a suicide. So come up, pray with one side. You won't have anything. I pray with you to get away. I'm not drinking. Yeah, the one that's crazy. Here's the design. You're trying to be crazy. Here's the design. They take me in and they're still just saying, what's the only solution to give me to the professor? I'm protecting from the enemy myself.
was in my room, and I was just like staring at the wall, thinking about everything. But then again, I was thinking about nothing. And then my mom came in, and I didn't even know she was there. She called my name, and I didn't hear her. Then she started screaming, Mike, Mike. And I go, what? What's the matter? She goes, what's the matter with you? I go, there's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, no, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know? Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, no, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're not thinking, you're on drugs. None of people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me.